I don't know if I've heard that song before. That's just such a beautiful song. Yeah. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you. I'm so glad we can all be together this morning. And I just want to start with kind of a quick thank you to you guys. I can still count only on one hand the number of sermons I've ever preached in my whole life, and they've been right here. So I just want to thank you guys for your continued graciousness with me as I continue to learn and speak and develop my voice and listen to what God has for all of us. And thank you to a couple friends who chose to take time out of their day to come today, too. I I really appreciate you guys being here. Um, So every day it feels like we face a certain kind of clamor reverberating around our lives, this like dissonant chorus of voices and ideas vying for our attention and loyalty from radio and TV ads from social media promos interrupting our scroll feed, and political campaigns asking for your vote more than a year ahead of the national campaign, uh, national election. And closer to home, there's the never-ending stream of local community activities begging for our attendance, and you can't ever attend all of them, so you've got to make choices. The demands of all the hats that we wear as we carry out our various responsibilities through the week, and not to mention all the heartbreaking tragedies throughout the country that seem to just hopelessly persist, including the ones so close to home. I don't know, call it what you will, empire, systems of oppression, or just the tug and pull of real life, it can really be overwhelming and feel really hopeless. It shows up in our bodies where we feel our stress, and it can just throw us off for game. I don't know. Can you guys kind of feel that too? This, this angst. For me, caring for myself in this, this context has brought me to this quiet, still, slow, vulnerable invitation to listen. That's a word that's this listening. That's been a word that's been gurgling through my mind and heart the last few months listening to myself and what my body's telling me, listening to my family, listening to God's movement in the world. And when I take the time to quiet my heart and simply listen, it feels like really good things happen. Not that I do this really well by any means. You know, they say you should write the book you need to read, and I feel like I'm preaching the sermon that I need to hear. Um, But I want to point our hearts and this sermon towards the idea of listening. Because my main point today, I believe that hope emerges from chaos through a mutual listening relationship with our divine God who's creating something new here among us. This idea of mutual listening, doesn't that sound kind of like prayer? I think maybe it does, but we'll get back there. So Jason's been taking us through study in Leviticus for the last few weeks. I'm not going to be there. We're not going to be in Leviticus today. But it's been really refreshing for me to hear how Jason share us with, to hear Jason share with us that even back then in the Old Testament, in the very beginning of the Old Testament, God was creating something new. He was giving the people of Israel who had just come out of their oppression in Egypt a new way to relate to God and each other. 
One simple example of this is the, the seven-day feast that God provided for the Israelites to enjoy as God established Aaron's priesthood, and thus the priesthood of all believers. And guess what? In the New Testament, Jesus continues to invite us to a new way of living and relating with each other. So as I've been like simmering with all of this, this week I was unexpectedly drawn to the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. So I'd like to turn there this morning and start reading just before that little artificial section headline. Um, Let's start reading at Luke 10, 23. Let me say at the outset that there's like so much that could be explored here. I totally understand why Jason sometimes dwells on a particular book for like weeks and weeks and weeks because there's just so much. Our Bible is like so beautifully complex. I feel like I'm really skimming the surface in this sermon, but maybe I'll come back to the other things another time. And by saying that, I'm kind of giving myself permission to, to not say what, what I can't. So Luke 10, I'm going to read 10, Luke 10, 23 to 42. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went, to, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you, reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? 
Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So I'm going to call this whole passage a Luke sandwich. Sandwich is one of those fancy terms we learn in seminary, a passage of scripture that's kind of flanked on both sides by other passages that maybe seem to connect to each other. And these passages, when we read them together, kind of give a more robust understanding to what Luke might have wanted his readers to understand. So let's start in the middle of the parable of the Good Samaritan. First, Luke is pretty clear that this lawyer wanted to test Jesus. The word test is the same word we use in our Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. And in response to the lawyer's question, Jesus tells the story of this traveler who is attacked by robbers and left for dead. A priest and a Levite were traveling and they passed by this man, but it was the Samaritan who was moved with compassion and helped this traveler. So I want to give a shout out to the Jewish annotated New Testament that's helped me quite a bit in my study this week. By pointing out the priest and the Levite, Jesus was highlighting actually three groups of people that would have made up the community of the Israelites. The priests were the ones descended from Aaron, really, that we're studying in Leviticus. The Levites descended from the other children of Levi. And I'm sure in hearing this story, the the Jews were expecting to hear the third person mentioned being uh, someone from the Israelites who is everyone else descended from Jacob. But instead, Jesus kind of breaks the dominant narrative and names a Samaritan as the one who becomes known as the epitome of a good neighbor. I had no idea until I started studying this passage that Second Chronicles tells a story that would have come to the mind of the audience who heard Jesus talk that day. I'd like us to turn to Second Chronicles 28, 8 through 15. I didn't even know this was in the Bible. Jesus and his hearers, they knew the Hebrew Bible so well that they would have absolutely been reminded of this passage. Second Chronicles 28, 8 through 15. The Israelites took captive from their kinsmen 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there, and he went out to meet the army when it returned to Samaria. And he said to them, Because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have slaughtered them into a rage that reaches to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow countrymen you have taken as prisoners, for the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. Then some of the leaders in Ephraim, I'm going to get these names wrong, Azariah, son of Jehoanan, Berechiah, son of Meshelamoth, Jehezekiah, son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Adelai confronted those who were arriving from the war. You must not bring the prisoners here, they said. 
or we will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add our sin and guilt to yours? For our guilt is already great, and his fierce anger rests on Israel. So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and the plunder in the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated, de- designated by name, the names I just read, um, took the prisoners, and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals and food and drink and healing balm. All those who were weak, they put on donkeys so that they could take them back to their fellow countrymen at Jericho, the city of Palms. And then they returned to Samaria. Again, there's so much here and so many correlations that could be made between past and present. But as we're talking about listening well today, I'm going to invite you guys to pause in your own time to consider what some of these correlations might be. But I feel like they're just so direct. Let's return to our thesis and the slice of bread that flanks those stories that that we're studying. Uh, We said that hope emerges from chaos through a mutual listening relationship with our divine God who is creating something new among us. I suggest that both Oded the prophet and the Good Samaritan could not have done what they had done if they hadn't been listening to what God had to say to them, and if God had not been listening to the cries of the captives or the wounded traveler, they had this sensitivity to listen attentively to the world around them in order to see and take notice and stop and help. They didn't robotically go through the motions of their day so that they couldn't see the need. Instead, they, and they didn't keep a a methodical loyalty to the script that they had been taught. Instead, when their awareness called them to a particular action, they responded with care. Listening isn't just passive. It leads us to action, sometimes table-flipping, script-flipping action. So let's go back to Luke 10, 38 to 42. I've already read it, so I'm not going to repeat this. But after the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus goes to to hang out with Mary and Martha at their house. Before we get too far into the story, I'd like to uh, point out, uh, kind of for my sake, but for all of us, that the Greek word that Luke uses to describe Martha's many tasks, it's the very same word that is used to describe the apostles' ministry in Acts. Er, Yeah, I'm mixing them. Sorry, let me start again. That very same Greek word that Luke uses to describe Martha's ministry is also the same word that, oh, Luke wrote Acts too, that Luke uses in Acts to describe the apostles' ministry. It's also the same word that Paul uses to describe his own ministry. Martha, as far as I can read it, was not busy making casseroles in the kitchen she was busy with much ministry. Casseroles might have been part of it, but I'm pretty sure they weren't all of this important ministry that Martha was doing. And with that, I want to highlight that sometimes it's even the good things, the good chaos that distracts us from the quiet, recreative listening that God invites us to. So in this section, I continue to see this mutuality of listening between Mary and Martha 
and Jesus. Clearly, Jesus attentively sees what Mary and Martha are both doing. Jesus sees Martha's angst and responds meaningfully to the concerns that she brings to him. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening and soaking up his teaching. And although we don't have a record of what, how Martha responded to Jesus in the end, I imagine Martha listens to Jesus' kind, gracious response and takes it to heart. So again, in seminary, I'm taught not to mix the Gospels because each Gospel writer was writing at a different time and a different place to a different audience with a different, story, different message in mind. But I can't help but wonder if maybe this scene with Mary and Martha and Jesus set the stage for Jesus and Martha interacting at Lazarus' tomb in John, where Martha runs to meet Jesus and finds comfort when she talks to him in their mutual grief. So now let's look at the first slice of bread, very beginning. In those verses that form the other slice of bread, Jesus blesses his disciples who are attuned to see and hear what even the prophets and the kings wish they could understand. I'm going to read those again. Then Jesus turned, this is Luke 10, 23. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. That's a pretty incredible blessing to receive from Jesus. So in conclusion, I feel like we have a choice. Our world is full of voices demanding to be heard, demanding authority and weight in our lives. Which ones will we listen to? Who will we let speak into our lives? Which voices will we let impact the way we live? Uh, I believe what occurs at this micro level is kind of an echo of what's happening in our larger community in a global scale. So if hope emerges from the chaos through mutual listening relationship with our God who's creating something incredibly new among us, then we have an opportunity to bring hope to the world through the simple act of listening both to God and to ourselves and to the world around us. Part of the gift of grad school for me has been the opportunity to redefine words that have been really unhelpful in younger years, and prayer is one of those words. I never quite knew if I was doing it right, or if I had the right words to say, had I prayed long enough, or stayed quiet and still enough for God to know that I was serious. Did the adults in my life endorse my prayers? Sometimes the adults in my life even told me that I'd used the wrong words. But what I'm learning now is that prayer is this beautiful dance of mutuality between God and us. As we listen to God, God is listening to us. God wants to know us and invites us to sit and listen just as Mary did. There's no right or wrong way to do it. And out of that interchange, that beautiful dance of mutuality, we're called into the action of offering healing to our world, just as the prophet Oded and the Good Samaritan did for the the places where they saw suffering in their world. I'm going to close with a quote and then a prayer. Peter Block and John McKnight write, In silence, we're able to listen to our children, our neighbors, and our opponents. 
people we consider to be strangers. In listening, we also open ourselves to the nature of our neighborhood. With silence, we can learn about the place where we live because we can hear and see the message of the trees and the plants and the animals and the buildings all around us. They're part of our community with so much to teach once we start listening. So with that, let's close in prayer for a blessing for all of us as we continue to listen to God's recreation in our lives. Dear God, we rest in this moment of your recreating. We breathe in the essence of who you are. We breathe in your love and your laughter and your fun. We breathe in your delight at creativity and diversity. We breathe in your faithfulness to justice and freedom. And we breathe in your grief at pain and suffering. We breathe in your joy at generosity and caring. Dear God, we rest in this moment of your recreating and your breathing room for our and find breathing room for our souls. Amen.